the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We've got some work to do today. We've got some work to do today. I am going to have on a little bit later in the program, I guess, um, and his specialty is understanding how messed up the paying the payor system is for our healthcare system. Uh, his name is Paul Siegert. He's been on the show before. He's really good. I was talking to him off the air, preparing for the interview. Um, it's complicated. It's a strange situation. I mean, it's not strange. It's lots of overlapping things that are going on. Private payers, Medicare, Medicaid. Anyway, we'll talk about that because it's a disaster. Then we'll also get an update uh, from Kimberly Herman. She's the general counsel of the Southeastern Legal Foundation, which is based down in uh, Hotland in Atlanta. Uh, we'll talk with her about what is happening with Title IX. Title IX is a mess. The federal law that's supposed to make everything better for women and is really a mess and transgenders are abusing it, uh, the whole movement. And so we'll find out why and we'll talk to her. But first, remember last year when you were told you were not allowed to object to the elections you were told that you cannot say that the 2020 election was anything other than perfect. That was the rules, the rules by which you were forced to play. You had to believe that the elections were perfect. If you said they weren't perfect, you were a conspiracy theorist because lots of cases had gone into the courts and none had found the smoking gun. Now, I ran an election board and I can tell you there's always problems, but be that as it may, that's what we were told we had to do. And then Molly Ball, an, a journalist, wrote an article for Time magazine in which she described the network, the web of interlocking organizations and activists who, quote, fortify the election. And what they meant when they said fortify the election is they had to beat Trump and therefore they had to go out and they had to file lawsuits in courts that were friendly. They had to change the laws where they could. They had to coordinate where possible restrictions like for covid, all kinds of things. And they maintained that everything they did was always legal. And to be honest, no one has come forward and proven that they were anything was illegal. So, oh, another aspect of fortifying the election was hundreds of millions of dollars. Zuckerbucks is the one you know of, but lots of other places and lots of other ways that people and groups helped to try to get out the vote, to try to influence who is voting, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So comes now another example of fortifying the election. At a certain point, it has to be said that the fortifying the election looks and feels a lot like interfering in the election, meaning, for example, uh, the Hunter Biden laptop, which we now know was real and is real and has lots on it. It has been shown by testimony, by public testimony, that the uh, intelligence community, meaning the, in, the, in one specific case, the FBI, but the intelligence community was actively saying, be prepared Social media giants, Facebook and others, there will be 
Russian disinformation. And here comes a Hunter Biden laptop just a month before the election. And the and 50 plus, I think it was 51, former members of the in, in, intelligence community, including Clapper and Brennan and everybody said, oh, yeah, Russian disinformation. And they signed a letter saying that. And so because they signed a letter saying that and the pump had been primed by the FBI and others for a big tech to hear that they what did they do? They didn't report. They stifled the coverage of Hunter Biden's laptop, which showed evidence of Ukrainian dealings as well as Chinese dealings, as well as other stuff. Forget, by the way, about how crazy the guy's personal life was. That's bad enough. This was all about what what they saw there. So we now know this fortification of the election included tons of outside spending, tons of efforts to change the law, tons of efforts to uh, influence the coverage, both of the media, uh, mainstream media, uh, as well as the big tech. All of that happened. Now, there's yet another example of the uh, actual election system, the election offices, using Bloomberg's money in this case. I I guess it's kind of like the Zuckerbucks. I guess it's not that different. It's Mike Bloomberg, a billionaire, saying, I'll give you millions of dollars. And the election officials in Philadelphia saying yes. Now, remember, my point on this, again, I'm not saying I have a smoking gun yet to say that anybody cheated, but it is amazing. And I and Margot Cleveland, who is a retired federal uh, uh, law clerk, I worked in the legal system as well as a professor, I think at Notre Dame, and she was tweeting about this, and she said, what's striking is in the middle of this essay, there is emails that have been released that are being quoted. And one of the emails is from a Stanford professor who claims to be this great election expert, an election fraud expert, et cetera, on election integrity. And he's basically saying, yeah, go ahead, get the money that's coming from a left winger, clearly coming from a left winger. That's what that's who uh, Bloomberg is. And this is election official is saying, oh, good. You know, you got that. His name is uh, let's see. What is it? Uh, how do you say it? Personally. Uh, Nate Persilly, Persilly, it's probably pronounced, getting this money. And her point, Margot Cleveland's uh, observation was pretty crazy that this professor just thinks it's totally okay, totally okay to be getting money uh, from this left winger to do get out the vote in ways that will help one side over the other. Now, is it illegal? I don't know, maybe not. Maybe not. Oh, yeah. He heads up this uh, professor, Persilly. He's a uh, he's a um, well, he's very left leaning, it looks like. But he runs the Stanford MIT Healthy Elections Project. Um, so the point here is we now know it was a concerted effort to beat Trump. And it was focused on certain parts of the country, certain handful of places where were really close and that turned out surprisingly different than the rest of the country. And. They admit that they are obsessed with doing anything they can, and they admit that there was this injection of lots of money, and they admit, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. At a certain point, you say to yourselves, "Did oh, and, and this last one is very important. There is also the admission that the intelligence community formally, the FBI in the case that we know of that I'm thinking of, contacting Zuckerberg and, and Facebook, and informally, the intelligence community, 50 plus professionals who signed a letter that it was Russian, that the Hunter Biden laptop is Russian disinformation. What you need to know is they were either lying or they were idiots. They're not idiots. So they were lying. And they and so we have the intelligence community, active and retired, working 
to control the election, along with hundreds of millions of dollars and lawyers and a legal system that's all doing things to fortify the election. You see it? You see the problem? Do you get the problem yet? There's a point where fortifying an election is not benign. It's not simply competing. It's utilizing something akin to the deep state. I mean, whether you call it the deep state or you call it something else, a coordinated effort that utilizes the intelligence community and big tech. Those are really powerful together. And big media, also powerful, and local election systems, very powerful, and local uh, legal system, very powerful. Over time, you see the fix was in. Whether it was illegal or not is a different question, but the fix was in against Trump. And you may say, well, that's just the way the game goes. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think we have a pattern that goes all the way back to the last days of the Obama administration, when, as I said, was reading to you yeah the other day susan rice says and sends an email to herself talking about how they did everything by the book and in the room when they were making big decisions on how to effectively engineer the Mueller investigation comey biden susan rice obama sally yates i don't know was brennan or clapper in there i can't remember i'll have to go back and look for sure but the simple fact is there's this is something very, very, there's something very wrong with this. Really wrong. Deeply problematic. Deeply problematic. And, 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 and whether we get to the bottom of it ever, maybe it doesn't matter because the admissions that are coming out make it clear what happened. And, and, and the only question is, why won't it happen again? I mean, what what has happened? What has changed that makes some of the things regarding covid and restrictions? Maybe they can't happen right now. But the rest of the stuff certainly seems to be possible, if not probable. And I'll say it again. Once they get away with it. Why wouldn't they do it again? What you need to know is once political actors get away with it in fact, are rewarded with jobs in the White House and the Justice Department and everything else. They had to be out for four years. Now they're back in power. What? Why wouldn't they do it again? And if either you are so cynical and you just use power or and it could be both, you think the other side is truly evil and therefore has to be stopped. Either one of those probably put together, probably some mix makes it almost impossible to imagine that they won't do it again, that they won't fortify the election, that guys like Bloomberg won't spend tens of millions, maybe hundreds of millions on influencing the elections and how they do it. Why would they stop? Why would they stop? That's what you need to know. All right, we'll take a break. We'll come back. We've got some great guests today, and uh, we'll cover that. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up there for the daily emails and all the rest. Uh, Some of the people were texting me about the interviews from yesterday, I think it was. All that stuff is over at ProAmericaReport.com. It kicks through to PhyllisSchlafly.com, so you get it all there. If you need to, do a search in the search bar, and you'll find anyone that you're seeking uh, the interviews. Uh, We'll take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the ProAmerica Report. Back in a moment. 
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And uh, I think it was a few months ago we had on the program uh, Kimberly S. Herman. Kim Herman is the general counsel over at the Southeastern Legal Foundation. SLFLiberty.org is their website. Um, she has uh, worked in business and, and uh, a lot of different things, litigation also and appellate courts. Um, and she is uh, very helpful to look at some of these issues that are going around. And But the one I wanted to talk about was the Title IX of the Civil Rights Act, which is continuing. There's been a public comment process. The Biden administration has been aggressive in their proposed changes. And I thought I would uh, speak with her again. Uh, Kim Herman is the general counsel. Welcome, Kim. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back. Well, it's nice to have you back. So what is how, it, it, the Biden administration? When I say that they're aggressive, they have a set of positions on this, uh, on Title IX, and they're uh, uh, they're being, you know, upfront about it and going forward. Where are we in this process? Yeah. So, I mean, Title IX is uh, the part of the Civil Rights Act that protects sex. Right. So originally it was enacted so that we would have e- equality, not equity, equality in women's sports. Right. Um, what's the Biden administration? is doing is they are redefining what the word sex means. So no longer will it mean a man or a woman, a biological man or woman. It will now mean sex stereotypes. It will mean sex characteristics. It will mean whatever you want it to mean. So it no longer gives any protections for women, for women's sports. It will allow men in locker rooms. It will uh, completely destroy what we have worked so hard over 50 years to build. Uh, Our guest is uh, Kim Herman. Uh, She is the uh, general counsel at the Southeastern Legal Foundation. Again, SLFLiberty.org. What's the mindset that goes for this? I mean, when when you had, for example, in the Department of Education under in the Trump administration, you had um, there were certain policy positions you could see. They they were more supportive of school choice, certainly uh, charter schools. Well, the new administration comes in and they the heavily dominated by the school teachers unions and they're against um, the uh, the charters and the school choice movement. That's that policy move is obvious to me. Is, is this Title nine move the way the direction it? It doesn't feel like teachers want this. It doesn't feel like the majority of the the parents want this. So is this the sort of is the tail that's wagging this uh, set of policies? The feminists? Is that how you see it? Is it the leftists? Who's out there saying this is great? It's actually not the feminists. Uh, Many of the feminists are against this because this is undercutting what they have worked for for decades. Um, Honestly, it's, it's the white liberal elite that are destroying our concept of gender, destroying our concept of uh, sex in this country. Um, And they're also chilling speech. This is going to be used to monitor what's happening in all of the schools. Every single school is going to have to have a Title IX coordinator, which means that if anyone is offended or does not like a gender that they are referred to, they do not uh, like what's happening in the school, they can report other students. It is monitored, it is reported, and they will be punished. Um, it is a way to silence people into woke ideology. To be perfectly honest, that's what this is. 
So is there a chance that um, that the um, effort, uh, you know, again, what you all do at your organization, the Southeastern Legal Foundation, is identify what's going on. And when it's necessary, make public comment, even be a part of litigation, amicus briefs and all that. Is there a chance that this issue uh, becomes more popularly understood? Like where I'm from in the Commonwealth of Virginia, um, the the race, the Yunkin McAuliffe race galvanized the idea that parents were going to be in charge. They weren't going to be left out of education. Having said that, they went on with their lives and they're sort of more active. There's school board races that are happening. When it comes to Title IX, it's a federal law. Um, are, are there legislators that are catching on? Is it more popularly understood to push back on this? Because if it's true that the feminists don't want it, there's a lot of allies then that should be saying this is crazy. Yeah, I mean, we need parents to, to speak up and, and stand up. And the public comment period on this particular uh, rule has closed. We'll see if they actually move forward with it. We know that they will. Um, but what's going to be even more important is how the school boards uh, move forward with it. Parents are going to have to stay diligent because what's going to happen here is this is pushing parents even further out. If your child goes to school and your daughter says, I like to play baseball, I like the color blue, and they have a teacher that says, oh, well, then you should be a boy and we're not going to tell your parents. This isn't us just saying this could happen. It's actually happening. Parents are being further pushed out with this gender issue than they are with the race issue. They need to be more diligent now than ever. It might be a federal law, but there are many things you can do on a local level, um, including elections, including getting active in your school boards to keep this out of your school. Um, again, uh, our guest, uh, uh, Kimberly Herman, she's the general counsel at uh, Southeastern Legal Foundation. Um, if folks, so when you're at a school board, the local school board, my local school board can push back on this and say, we don't want it. But the strings, right? The strings attached are the problem, isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, the reason why if people care about it, they ought to go comment on the on the public comment uh, or find ways to talk to their legislator is there's a lot more pressure to once the rules are in place, it's sort of hard harder to row upstream. Oh, it's extremely hard. I mean, the, the the reality of this, like you said, is that this is a federal regulation. And if this is put into place, we are going to have to push back in the courts. That is going to be the main place where we have to fight against these Title IX changes. There are going to be lawsuits. Um, we are a year out from filing these lawsuits, and we are all already working on building them because it's going to be imperative that we fight back and then we get courts to enjoin these laws immediately because, make no doubt about it, they are unconstitutional. It violates the First Amendment. It violates due process laws. Um, the list goes on and on of the, you know, the the legal violations that are embedded in Biden's Title IX changes. Is the um, is what happens if the federal um, if the U.S. Congress changes hands in in terms of the possibilities? One of the things that uh, again, uh, Kim Herman's our guest, the general counsel over at the Southeastern Legal Foundation. Uh, you know, one of the things I tell people is, well, okay, good. You know, if you've got creative uh, legislators in the U.S. House or the U.S. Senate, they can push back. Just like if you have really creative governors, they can push back. However, a lot of stuff happens by rulemaking and by the executive branch has over the years and decades has consolidated power. What's your vision there, Kim? Is there is there hope for a, a conservative, I guess it would be Republican, uh, um, House and a um, therefore a chair of this uh, committees being able to push back on this? How would that look? 
Yeah, I mean, they, they absolutely could push back. But like you said, this is being done by the Department of Education. Um, it's imperative that it, it is stopped before it is actually goes into effect. So what we have now is a proposed rule. They have about a year it's going to take for them to go through all of the comments and actually come out with a final rule. Um, taking back the House is a very first step. Um, taking back Congress is, is a big, huge step. But really, it's at the federal executive level. It is taking back the White House and taking back these agencies. That is how we stop the Department of Education. Yeah, it's an interesting problem. And and again, our guest, Kim Herman, uh, Southeastern Legal Foundation, if you go there, they got tons of uh, uh, information on issues. Um, even their newsroom has a lot of the press releases explain a lot of stuff. It, it is one of the problems. I mean, sometimes you want you look back and you say, well, if you could go back in time and you had a Republican administration, it's not so much that we want a department run better. We want them to sort of devolve power, like dramatically, you know, <laughs> um, uh, dramatically give up power to be able to, to change the future. Because, it, you know, I, I remember with the Bush administration, I used to joke Bush W, I'd say, we don't need a better EPA administrator. We need someone who stops, you know, gives back the power to the states. That's that's what I worry about, even if you get control of a, of a House or Senate. Um, what's the future legislatively in in states? Do you see, Kim, that there's an opportunity for state legislatures to push back on this? And what would it look like? Yeah, I mean, we've seen a number of state legislatures work to give additional parental rights. And I'm not just talking about rights to see curriculum. Uh, in this area for Title IX, we need additional rights of parents to know what's happening with their child. Schools cannot keep secret from parents if their child is wanting to go by a different pronoun, um, if there are boys in the girls' locker rooms or girls in the boys' locker rooms. Parents need to have exposure and they need to know what is happening in their kid's school on that front and with their particular child. And so state legislators can stand up and actually do something um, about that. But you know, to your point about federal agencies, we need to roll back the power of these federal agencies across the board. And the only way that that's going to happen is with a change um, the very top and a change at our white house well it's um the important thing for now is people understand uh what's happening and find ways if they can object whether it's uh, as kimberly uh, uh herman has laid out um there are uh, public comments that can be to go to their website you can look at some of those and then also your legislators at the uh, especially the federal level but the state level can have an influence kim herman thank you very much for your time Gen again general counsel over at the southeastern legal foundation slfliberty.org thank you kim Thanks. All right. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. It was a few months ago we had Paul Siegert on with us. He is a uh, the managing partner. He's in uh, business, PCS Advisors, health benefits consulting firm, uh, offices all across the nation, and uh, has uh, commenting especially on health care and economics and what's happening. So there was a piece that was sent around. Uh, one of his folks sent it to me about the incredible uh, cost of health care, of course, um, but that hospitals and, and the and, and the whole system is under incredible strain. And the question is, you know, are we at a tipping point? That's one of the lines that was used in this where uh, we see so much medical debt. We see so many things. Incentives are off. If the money on my listeners, Paul, know I will often say uh, follow the money is the best filter mm -hmm. to judge. And if you follow the money with some of the incentives in place in our healthcare system, it's pretty disastrous. So first of all, welcome back, Paul. How are you? 
Great. Thanks for having me. So broadly uh, going up, uh, doesn't matter how we got here. We have Obamacare as a problem. We have the cost of Medicare as a problem. Medicaid as a problem. All these things happen over 50 decades and decades. Doesn't matter how we got here. Where are we now? If you described our system of healthcare, where are we now? We're at a place now where when you use the word subsidy, people think I'm about to talk about the government and I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) The government is actually, leaning on employer plans, private payers in our system to subsidize their payers. And I'll explain that. And then we, and we're also using plan designs to shift a ton of cost to consumers and have put a hundred million of them in debt in the last 12 years. Uh, but when I talk about subsidy, the whole subsidy part of this, which is, I think just about nobody knows that employer plans pay a lot more when one of their members shows up at a hospital, as an example, than Medicare or Medicaid. Hospitals lose money on Medicare and Medicaid patients, generally speaking. They need 120 to 140% of what they collect on those payers right. just to break even. They tolerate that because they know the employer uh, plan client is going to show up. And Rand Corporation did a study on this just released a couple weeks ago. The average Delta there is 224%. Employer plans are paying 224% more than the government payers. And that's the only reason the system can can continue but that's a it's it's actually does have an end in sight because in 1999 67% of us got our health care from our employer right. and just in the last year basically since covid hit we've we've gotten to a tipping point in a sense because we're now at 49% of us getting wow. our health care at work so you have this dwindling supply of people kind of sounds like an overall economics conversation right right uh, who are supposed to fund the whole system so then naturally they they have to have inflationary increases each year because it's a dwindling pool right uh, so we're talking with uh, paul siegert and again he's managing partner pcs advisors he works in this field health benefit consulting firm um so okay now we pull back now drill down we drill down and we go in there and we say okay who's making the system work right and and where i come from st louis we have um you know uh barnes bjc health and you know we have mm-hmm. slu health medical center you know bjc and the washington university system in general broadly speaking they know how to make the system work really well for them. I mean, they're buying real estate, they're developing things. Are the hospital, have the hospitals figured it out? And is that the place where the system's got to change or are the hospitals figured out because the system is broken? Hospitals have figured it out, but, but some have and some haven't. It depends if they're in a market with lots of private payers still, then they they're doing well. Uh-huh. And okay. ironically, those markets with lots of private payers yeah. are also the place where we find the most medical debt because those private payers, those employer plan individuals that are showing up likely have a really high deductible okay, and a high max out of pocket and all of that kind of stuff. So it's, it's kind of counterintuitive that in those markets these hospitals might be running double the the average operating margin so maybe 12% instead of 6 right because they still have lots of employer plans and we're putting a bunch of people in debt and then you look at rural markets we're losing hospitals there and just in 2019 uh, we lost or 2020 rather we lost 19 more rural hospitals and depending how you tally it up we let's say we have about 1800 left in this country that serve 20% of the population or so that's rural and those are on the decline. Uh, we lost 136 in, in the last decade-ish. 
So they're getting hammered because almost all their payers that show up are Medicare and Medicaid or uninsured. And then you have the like in your market that you just mentioned, or you go to Dallas, Fort Worth, or you go to some of these other places, those hospitals can do quite well. And they just bill the max possible for every little thing uh, in order to to get that done. They'll put people in collections. They'll take them to court. Uh, They just do whatever it takes to get the dollars in. Um, again, uh, we, so what's the, what's, uh, the, uh, well, let me, let me pause. Um, uh, Paul Seeger is our guest. Uh, he's a managing partner, PCS advisors has decades of experience working in health benefits and, uh, his PCS is a health benefits consulting firm all across the country. So what's the future? I mean, the political reality is when you say, when you describe the current system, as I always tell my wife, I was telling you off the air, who's a physician, you don't ask politicians to act against their interest right. and their their interest is not managing tax dollars well. Their interest is getting reelected. Now, many of them, you know, hopefully they'll be visionaries and they'll be in the public interest. But just in general, they're, they're going to act in ways so they're not going right. to upset Medicare recipients. They know they vote, right? I mean, right. this is the way it works. They, Medicaid yep. recipients still periodically upset them because by percentage they don't vote as much. And so, but mm-hmm. what's the what's the vision, uh, Paul, that could get people thinking? Hey, we're going to have some market market-based forces but right now what you're what you're describing and if everybody feels it the system is broken or maybe better said breaking and your description is it's racing to the bottom and soon you're not going to have to wonder it's just going to be totally you know it's going to actually be broke meaning the, the numbers won't work well, give me a vision on how a way out well I, I agree with you. First of all, to hammer home what you just said, we're not going to get. I don't see solutions coming from the top down anytime soon. Right? They're going to they're going to reduce Medicare reimbursements to these hospitals another four points by the end of this year, which will shift more cost as they squeeze that balloon. It'll shift more cost to the dwindling supply of private payers. Uh, the the real solution is that these employers are at a breaking point and they're going to demand the change. Uh, And many, many of them, it's a growing movement of these employers who are uh, cleaning up their own health plan. And as that, then that's going to bring, I think will bring, lead us to a a point where the whole system then has to, has to stop and say, we've got to do things differently because we no longer can pile on this dwindling group of employers to, to fund everyone's profit margin. Uh, And then when that happens, we have to really reassess this whole payment model and say, why don't we have a free market in healthcare? If you take insurance out of it and you look at healthcare procedures where there is no insurance, you know, elective procedures, LASIK and uh, cosmetic things, quality goes up, cost goes down consistently because you have transparency around those, those, those things that you need, those pieces of information you need to consume. Well, if we don't have transparency around that, the fact that you don't know what stuff's going to cost before you consume it is pretty crazy. How do you shop? You right. can't. We have to cr- make that possible. It's um, it, it will, and the and again, the forces, the, the 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 small p political forces, as you say, that you know, you get to the point where I mean, it, it's a funny trick, isn't it? You, your your assessment would be well at a certain point, businesses are going to say, look, um, we need you to adjust this system. It's not working, except. 
as we race to the bottom and more and more people we're down to 49% are covered by private payers. You know, if the businesses are figuring ways to get around it, right. I mean, they're either not offering services at all or they're what they're um, keeping people part-time employees. Uh, What is, what is it? Or they're just, they're ditching it altogether. So we're down to 49% because we've actually taken employers to the brink where they have to say more so on the small employer side where they, they have to do the cost benefit analysis and say, you know what, this isn't working for us. And we're actually not doing our employees a service by spending this large amount of money to provide them a very small a benefit that puts them at risk because of the huge deductibles, huge max out of pockets. Our people would be better off if we shut this whole thing down and let them go to the government system. So that's happening which then makes it even worse for the larger employers that tend to be left. Right. Right. But that can't go on forever. Uh, right. If, well, if everyone yeah, and, paid their fair share, we'd be at about, if everyone would pay 145% of what Medicare pays, let's say, now, yeah, this is the very yeah. loose underwriting that I'm uh-huh. doing in real time. <laughs> right. <laughs> the whole system could work. Yeah. Uh, like it should. Well, it's um, it's um, the, the the problem is when you describe it that way. That's that's counting on um, people acting rationally and uh, and deciding things right. that are in, in the interest of the broader uh, community and not in their own interest or or their own business's interest. Is there right. any um, uh, possibility? Again, our guest is Paul Siegert, and uh, he's managing partner PCS Advisors at PCS Advisors on uh, Twitter, uh, PCSAdvisors.com uh, on uh, the internet on, on the web side um are any examples of smaller markets that experiment to try to get this under control or to try to free up competition and then transparencies are there states maybe even smaller states that obviously you know california is its own economy it's not it's not particularly uh, nimble but are there are there states or or um uh i don't know um, municipalities that have tried to creatively do this probably not because they're dominated by federal payers right yeah there really aren't um or not successfully. Okay. The best, the bright spots in the system today are employers, top quartile employers who get with, uh, who take this very, very seriously and demand transparency at their plan level. I see. From all vendors involved. I all see. cost drivers. And that's drugs, that's hospitals, that's surgeries, mm-hmm. uh, primary care, but really drugs, hospitals, and surgeries. They dig into those three areas of the, of the plan and they get the, tra- they demand the transparency. They get the transparency. And then when they have it and they can actually manage this thing for quality outcomes in terms of cost and you know health, they can drive their costs down. Uh, they can cut the cost of their health plan in half by eliminating waste. There's so much waste in our system, which is expected if you don't have transparency. Uh, I think they're the future. They're showing us the way of the future. Yeah. Uh, You just got to get them to do it and you got to get them uh, strong enough that they're willing to, as you say, to to band together and do it. Um, Okay. Hey, Paul, thank you. This is very interesting. It's a great, great subject. I'm glad you're out uh, making your voice and expertise known. Paul Siegert, again, is our our guest. I'll put up on social media, all the places where you can uh, read more of his work. Uh, Thanks, Paul. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Okay, we'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's a tough subject, it's um, but it's got to be faced. It's a massive, massive subject, massive uh, importance to people as well as cost. Um, so we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative pro-family perspective since 1983 and continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. 
Every federal government body should be strictly bound by the parameters of our Constitution. But our founders intended for the House of Representatives to be the preeminent governmental body in our country, to wield powers far in excess of all other branches of government. No one can become a member of the House without being directly elected by the people, and members must stand for re-election every two years. Revenue-raising bills can originate only in the House of Representatives, in further reflection of the Founders' intent to give it the greatest authority. The Constitution also authorizes the House to act alone when it impeaches a president, which is something Democrats exploited twice against President Donald Trump. Whether the House may act alone or with the Senate in issuing a legislative pardon has never been decided by a court of law. In 1974, the Justice Department's highly respected Office of Legal Counsel recognized the lack of any federal precedence on the issue of legislative pardons, and they gave an opinion supporting the use of legislative pardon power, but only in limited circumstances. It falls upon the upcoming House to exercise its legislative pardon power for Trump supporters and thereby end the political prosecution strategy pursued by Democrats. Tyranny by prosecution happens in dictatorships, and it's happening here in America now. House conservatives should now announce their plan to protect Trump and his supporters against the injustices they see around them. When leftists gain political power, they have no problem wielding that power to achieve their goals and punish their enemies. When conservatives are handed political power by we the people, they start coming up with excuses for why they can't take action. I'm ready for a Congress that fully exercises their power for good and under the Constitution. I'm ready for Planned Parenthood and other arms of the Democrat Party to be defunded permanently. I'm ready for bloated bureaucratic bodies to get the axe. I'm ready for it, and the American people certainly are too. The only question is whether we will elect leaders who are up to this task. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. In 2016, the conservative movement lost one of our strongest leaders, but Mrs. Schlafly's work and her voice continue through this radio program, our work in Washington, and the influence you have in your own community. Be part of that legacy at phyllisschlafly.com. We encourage you to bookmark phyllisschlafly.com. And join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, wrapping things up today. Uh, let's finish with a little uh, calendar study. Um, the, the question is this. When is an October surprise happening in 2022? Meaning in a campaign, especially a high energy, high level national campaign that you could count on a week or two weeks before an election, you can count on the hit. They drop the hit, you know, they have somebody out and they do something terrible and the message comes out there. And so in 20, excuse me, in 2000, fairly famously, you had the, um, you had the George W. Bush drunk driving report that came out the weekend before the election. So that was in the last days of October, first day or two of November uh, in 2016, uh, about three or four weeks before the election. You had the Donald Trump, uh, Billy Bush. Uh, what is it? Uh, Access Hollywood video. Uh, yeah, video, but audio was what, what leaked. 
in 2020, the Hunter Biden laptop uh, came out just about the same time, three weeks before the election. So the news came out in the last 24 hours that um, Senator Warnick of Georgia, his wife, went out public with more specifics on what she alleges was his abuse. Within an hour or two, as is apt and problem, uh, probable, the uh, Herschel Walker campaign was hit by an allegation having to do with his uh, his life before he was married and uh, his his gallivanting as a uh, maybe a not so family values guy. Here's my point. First of all, I, I hate these smears. And I'll tell you, my experience was just a few weeks before the election in 2010, when I was doing really well as a congressional candidate, I was the Republican nominee versus Russ Carnahan in uh, Missouri. And he was a Democrat and he was terrible. He was a terrible candidate, terrible uh, uh, cong- congressman. But it was about two or three weeks before the uh, election. And they dropped the news uh, allegations that I had been involved with the cover up of uh, abuse, sex abuse in the archdiocese in the Catholic Church. And it, it was stunning to me. I actually didn't think I knew that they would stoop to things. They had attacked my wife over her, her family had uh, she had received from her family some stock, which you have to disclose when you run for office. They attacked her over that. That was bad enough. But they just made this thing up. And I remember being stunned and not knowing how do you how do you uh, answer that? Because just answering the charge gives it more fuel. You know, it's the it's the uh, it's Pelosi's line about the wrap up smear. Someone smears you, then it's covered by the press. Then you have to respond to it. And then the press covers it again. In my case, I refused to back down. And so I actually had a press conference with a a woman lawyer who was a liberal, famously liberal Democrat who said this isn't true. I was working for the archdiocese at the same time. It's not true. But even still, it was befuddling how to handle it. That's what they're doing to Herschel Walker. They're trying to make Herschel Walker uh, these new allegations. I actually think the Senator Warnock allegations have been around for a while, but they're still dropped at this time. But here's the detail. Someone pointed this out on Twitter. Because of early voting, you have to have the October surprise earlier in October. Because if you want to impact the election in 2000, you drop that news about uh, the the DWI and George W. Bush three days before the election because everyone's voting on election day. Now people are voting four, five, six weeks early. You have to drop your charges. The attacks have to go earlier. That's a, so the October surprise is going to start coming in late September. That's the truth. That's the reality. All right, we got to run. That's it. Stick a stand up for Herschel Walker. I hate these smears. Uh, we got to run. I'll be back uh, tomorrow. It's Ed Martin, Pro America Report. I'll see you tomorrow. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.